so blessed and Jesus is Lord. <laughs> Come on, man. I am blessed. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. Good to have you here today. Let me throw out a couple things to you real quick. Uh, some of you may have grabbed one of these on your way in. You may have grabbed one last week. We have a team going to Kentucky on a missions trip, and there is a school in Kentucky that we are actually supporting. We're going to help these kids that are a lot less fortunate, and so we're just asking that you'll grab one of these bags either on your way in or on the way out. Uh, there's a list here of everything that, you know, whatever you can put in here. I'm not saying you have to get the whole list if you can. That's, that's awesome. That's great. But if you can, and that's fine too. Just get what you can, stuff it in the bag, bring it back by next Sunday. Next Sunday, because our team is leaving uh, the week after that. So next Sunday, please uh, bring that in. And thank you guys for helping support that. Also, wild game night. Where is all the men folk in the house today? I know it's 4th of July week. <laughs> And I know we got a lot of guests in the house today, but where are all the men folk in the house? Yes, thank you for three of you guys. So anyway, we got wild game night coming up, guys. I have got the tickets to these. If you're interested in going, this is on September, uh, September the 7th at 5 o'clock, main campus in Princeton, the bridge. Uh, we go every year that they have this, and so we always get a team together to go, and so we'd love for you to be involved in this. Uh, if you're interested, see me at the end of the service. I have some tickets for you guys. It's an amazing event. They give away rod and reel. Uh, man, I think they gave away a kayak one year. There's just all kinds of stuff. Uh, if you like to eat buffalo and chicken and frog legs and gizzard meat, come on, somebody. Amen. Yes. That's the, that, hey, that's the one you want to go to. So anyway, please remember that. And then one more thing real quick, man. We have got a couple in the house that is getting ready to say, I do, y'all. Yes, come on, somebody. Love is in the air. Come on, somebody. How many of you getting bit by the love bug? So we've got a wedding coming up right here at the church, and uh, I've got an invitation here. And it's Miss Lisa and Mr. Harrison. Come on, wave at us, guys. Woo! Come on, in love. In love, in love, in love. That's coming up on the 27th of this month. The 27th of this month, I believe that's on a Saturday at 3 o'clock. And Miss Lisa is saying, hey, you guys are all invited. Everyone is invited. Y'all all can't stay and eat, I'm just saying. But y'all are invited. I'm messing, I'm messing. So anyway, there's your, uh, just a few quick announcements in there. But anyway, let me go ahead and get into the Word today to get you guys out so you can enjoy the rest of your 4th of July week. We've been in a series, as you can tell, called I Am Blessed. I'm blessed. And uh, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the first teaching series that Jesus did in the New Testament. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. You may also know it as the Beatitudes. And so we've been walking through the Beatitudes one at a time. And so we've kind of landed on another one. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 5 today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Matthew 5, verse 8. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see 
God. Now, now it's interesting because what does, what does pure in heart mean? It basically means Clorox clean, like squeaky clean. It, 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 it means unmixed motives, not saying one thing and intending another. But it's being clean on the inside as well as the outside. So, so being blessed is more of a heart condition. It's not so much as what goes in, but what comes out. Being blessed is from the inside out. Because again, it's not really, it doesn't matter if all of my circumstances are lining up. It doesn't matter if everything is going as I want it to go in my life. And if everything is great and all of the cars line up, then I'm blessed. No, that's not what it means to be blessed. Being blessed is not having the right circumstances, but having the right spirit. It's having Christ's Spirit in me. That is what determines whether or not I'm blessed. And so Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. You're clean on the inside as well as the outside. Let me ask you a question today. Is it possible to do good things with the wrong motives? To be outwardly religious but inwardly a mess? Come on, is it possible to be that way? And here's the thing, religion focuses on what we do, faith focuses on why we do what we do. And so Jesus says being blessed comes when you are the same on the inside as well as the outside. And it was so important that within the sermon of the Beatitudes, Jesus wrote an entire chapter on what it means and how to develop this pure heart. In Matthew chapter 6, he kind of lays out for us three steps on developing a pure heart. So we're going to be taking a lot of notes today. So how many of you know history makers are note takers? A short pencil is better than a long memory any day. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write some stuff down today. I'm going to be a little bit more teachy today. Hope that's okay with you guys. But I want to give you three steps on how to develop a pure heart. Step number one is I have to review my motives. Why am I doing what I'm doing? You have to do a self-evaluation. Uh, 2 Corinthians, I believe, it talks about how we are to examine ourselves. We are to test ourselves. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2 says, People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their what? Their motives. So we can be pure in our own eyes, but it's the Lord who examines the motives. And it's interesting because Jesus actually laid out three very important things for us in Matthew chapter 6. Three things that, that, that are amazing, things that we're supposed to do, but they can also be done with the wrong motives. These three things are giving and praying and fasting. These three things that Jesus talks about, He says, hey, I don't want you falling into the trap of doing the right deeds, but with the wrong motives. And so how do I review my motives? First of all, I have to look at my activities. As it relates to giving and praying and fasting, I have to look at my activities. Where do I invest my time and where do I invest my money? Which two? Where do I do that? Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I was to go around this room and ask each and every one of you, what is first place in your life? Most of you would be very quick to say, 
That's easy, man. Jesus is. And that's great. But have you studied your checkbook and your calendar? Because regardless of what we say is first place, where we spend our time and where we spend our money is really what is first place in our lives. And so when my primary investment is in God, the first of my pay becomes a tithe. The first of my day becomes spent in quiet time with Him. The first of my week comes into His house and worships Him. The first of my talents is in service to Him. So where are my motives? I have to look at what my activities are. But not only that, I have to look at my anxieties. I have to look at my anxieties. Do you know you could tell a lot about a person by what it takes to worry them? You could tell a lot about a person about that. And it's interesting because Jesus says in Matthew 6, 25, He says, hey, I tell you the truth. Don't worry about everyday life. But isn't it amazing? Because all of us do that, right? As a matter of fact, Jesus goes on to lay out five of the most common worries that we have in life. I call them the five F's. They should be on your screen there. And matter of fact, there's a verse for each one of them. So here's the five things we worry about. Finances, food, fitness, fashion, and future. Isn't that really what we worry about all of the time? If you ask the average person what really worries you, I guarantee you it falls into this category. And it's amazing that Jesus spent time telling us the things that we worried about. So here's the thing that I want you to notice. If you're spending most of your time worried about these things right here, there ought to be a red flag to come up in your life. And you need to ask yourself, am I really trusting God in this area of my life? So let me ask you a question today. What are you worrying about? What is it that worries you? What is it that stresses you out? Because see, here's a progression that I've seen in life, and that is simply this. Stress not dealt with leads to anxiety. Anxiety not dealt with leads to depression. Have you ever noticed that? So if you're stressed out about a situation, and if you don't deal with that, it's going to turn into anxiety. It's going to turn into worry. And if you don't deal with that, it turns into full-blown depression. And it's interesting Because here's something that I want you to get today. If you're stressed out, if you're filled with anxiety, if you're filled with depression today, here's a truth that I want you to get. Write this down. This is a good truth. God is good, so if it isn't good for you, God isn't finished. God is good, so if it isn't good for you, that means God isn't finished. And we've got to settle that in our hearts today because we serve a good God. And we all walk through stuff. We all walk through circumstances and situations. But we have to realize that we are on a journey of living life. And listen, Jesus didn't want you to just come and just struggle through life. He didn't want you to come and just kind of fake it till you make it. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it what? More abundantly. Jesus said, I want you to have an abundant life. But how can I have an abundant life if I'm stressed and worried and full of anxiety over these five things? Now understand, I can't deny what's really going on in my life. Because if I deny that, then I'm not going to experience the help that God has for me. I'm not going to experience the life that God wants me to have. So if I was to walk through right now and ask every single one of you, do you have stress? Do you have worry? Do you have depression? If I was to do that and walk through there, 50 to 75% of the people in the house today would probably say, yes, that's me. 
That's me. And yet God says, hey, I've got a way. If it isn't good for you now, that just simply means I'm not done working in you. So here's the thing, guys. There's no need in being stressed and worried about everyday life when Jesus says, don't worry about it. Have you ever noticed that 90% of the things that worry us never even happen? You ever noticed that? So why can't we just simply trust God with all of this? Psalms 84.11 says this, ESV version, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. God says, hey, I'm good. I protect you. I don't withhold anything from you. So that just simply means that if things aren't going well for me right now, God's still working. He's still on His throne. He hasn't forgotten me. He's still moving and working in my life. So can I trust Him in the process? Can I trust Him in the process? Because realize this, we're all going to walk through situations and circumstances in our life, but we get to decide, are we going to allow God to change us for the good, or are we going to take it upon ourselves and allow the situation to change us for the bad? So here's the thing. When I'm walking through the situations and circumstances of my life, I have to look at my life and say, God, you promised something good for me. So if it's not good for me, that just simply means you're working out a plan for me. You're digging out a path for me, and it's going to be good for me later. Come on, how many of you agree with that? You've got to agree with that today. So again, how do I develop this pure heart? I've got to review my motives. Why am I doing what I'm doing And then I have to look at this. I have to kind of break them down, and I have to look at my activities. I have to look at my anxieties. But then the third thing, I have to look at my ambitions. What am I ambitious for? There's nothing wrong with being ambitious. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of goals and being goal-oriented. But here's what I realize about goals. Goals reveal the direction of your heart. So wherever your goals are centered at, that's where your heart is. And if your goals are centered, centered on you becoming the top, on you becoming in, being in the spotlight, then are you really putting God first in your life? Probably not. So you have to sometimes step back and ask yourself, who am I trying to please here? Who am I trying to please? Because we all fall into the trap of life that says, I, you know, I want to do this so I can please this one. I want to do that so that person can't talk about me. And we fall into that trap. But 1 Thessalonians says we don't aim to please others, but to please God who knows us through and through. So who do you want to please the most? The answer should be God. He's the one that helps develop this purity of heart inside of us. So get this. If you want to please man, sure, you can do it. But that's all you'll get. You'll only get the praises of man. So again, I have to review my motives. Who am I trying to please? Because again, we fall into this trap of trying to please everybody else around us. But the blessed life is being able to stand before God completely just who you are with no mask and say, God, here I am. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out. But God, I'm not going to fake it till I make it. I'm going to trust you with the circumstances of my life. So how do I develop that pure heart? I've got to review my motives. Here's the second thing. I've got to realign my priorities. I've got to realign my priorities. Exodus chapter 20 verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. God says, I want top priority in your life. I don't want any rivals. 
It's not your career. It's not your husband, not your wife, not your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your boo. None of that because none of that stuff can meet your needs. God said, I'm the only one who can meet your needs. So how do I know what my priorities are? Do you realize that the most important thing in life is relationships? Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 3. It says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but what does it say? If I don't love others, what would I be? A noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I can understand all of God's secret plans and possess all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but if I didn't love others, what would I be? Nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and sacrificed my body and I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, what would I gain? Nothing. So without love... Without relationships, knowledge is meaningless, faith is meaningless, sacrifice is a waste, everything flows back to relationships. Can I give you a truth today? The only thing you're going to take into eternity is your character and your relationships. That was one of those mic drop moments. The only thing you're going to take into eternity is what? Your character And your relationships. So whatever your priorities are, if God is in them, it's going to always revolve around relationships. So I want to look at real quick, I've got a chart for you today. And I want to kind of look at maybe what you could call the ripple effect. But I want to look at God's priority. God's priority for us in this chart right here. The most important relationship in your life, the center of your life, the core of who you are is who? Jesus. Matthew 6, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and He will give you everything you need. Hear me today. If God is first, everything else in your life will fall into place. Well, you don't understand. How about this? How about that? What about this? What about that? Listen, who is more capable of providing what you need? You or God? God is. I understand we have our part and God has his part, but without Jesus at the center of your life, you will fall short every single time. It starts with a personal commitment to follow him, to serve him, to lift him up. And from there, it revolves frequent time with him. How many of you guys remember when you first fell in love? Come on, you remember that time? How many of you know there's a difference between love and like love? I mean like weak knees love. How many of you remember when you first found the one that you used to stay on the phone for hours at a time listening to each other just breathe? Come on, anybody ever been there before? Holla, amen. You would just breathe. And you'd always say, oh, I'm sorry, did you say anything? I didn't say nothing. Oh, okay. I love you. I love you. Oh, okay, but well, I love you. Oh, I love you too. Oh, I love you. I love you. And it's funny because when you first get married, man, she is all up under you. You got your arm around her in the truck. But you get that thing a few years, Miss Lisa, all of a sudden you're going to look and he done moved all the way over there and you're like, where are you at? Rolls around love. So if you want to fall in love with someone, you've got to spend frequent time with them. 
And the most important person you need to be spending time with is Jesus. But then, let's look at the second circle. Chart again. Second circle. So it's, what is it? It's family. It's family. The most important relationship in your life is with Jesus. The most important human relationship is with your family. But even within the family, there's a priority that God laid out for us in the Scriptures. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and then we'll jump to 21 and 22. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. And all the men said, Whatever. I will make a helper who is just, who is just right for him. That's why y'all by yourself. So the Lord God caused a man to fall into a deep sleep. And when the man slept, the Lord God took one of the men's ribs out and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib and brought her to the man. Now let's look at this, Genesis 2.24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And I realize that not everybody in the house today is, is married. I understand all that. But, but if you are, hear me, the first priority in your family defined by God is husband and wife. It's not your job. It's not your kids. It's husband and wife. And you could try to have a healthy marriage without a relationship with God, but you're going to fall short every single time. So if things are not right in your marriage, you don't need to say, what is wrong with my spouse? Because that's what we do, right? If something's wrong, I look at Missy, I'm like, God, what's wrong with you? I didn't all try Paula today. And she does me the same way. But if something is wrong with your marriage, the first question you need to ask is, is my inner circle okay? Is my relationship with Jesus where it needs to be? The second question I need to ask is, is one of the other outer circles creating chaos in my life? Because if I'm not putting the attention in Jesus, then it's creating chaos somewhere else. So again, that first circle has got to be Jesus, and then the second circle is your family. In your family is husband and wife first, but then let's talk about the other relationships. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. How many of you know parenting isn't for wimps? Let me rephrase that. Parenting teenagers isn't for wimps. Can I get an amen? I'd be so glad when school starts back. I am tired of no food being in my house. We went grocery shopping yesterday. Misty and I, a little quiet time in Walmart. Just, you know, rocking the aisles, snacks, all that good stuff. Last night, I had one of them cravings for a snack. Looked into the snack bowl. It was empty, y'all. Empty. I went into our kids' room. All the snack papers are hid up under a blanket. Say, Lord, help school start quick. Parenting isn't easy. I remember the first time when, when Caleb came into the world, and he was a little baby, and I was sitting on the couch, and I had him up, and ooh, goo, goo, guy, and he threw up literally right in my face. And then there was a time where we, we walked him in, our kids into school for the first time, and there's all this fear, and there's all the tears. And then now they're young adults. They're... My daughter's 18 now, and she's kind of doing her own thing, and she's got some little boo, and she's never home anymore, and, and so there's, there's all these fears that, 
that come up as a parent, and you're, you're kind of worried about this stuff because it's interesting because what our children see as safe and fun, we often tremble at. What our children consider crucial for their social lives, we see as potential danger. When your son comes home and says, I made a new friend, what's his name? Chili Bean. I mean, if you know, that's not really going anywhere. So not only is our first priority to put God first, our first priority as a parent is to help our kids do the same thing, to train them up in the way they should go. So again, that's what it's all about. It's Jesus first, then it's family. Let's look at the chart. The third circle is church. It's church family. Notice I'm not putting the church before Jesus. Pastor, notice I'm not putting the church before my family. Because we do that, don't we? We do that. It's Jesus, family, then church. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. Now, we understand that Paul was speaking specifically to the Gentiles here, but, but I think it's a truth for all of us because God never intended for us to do life alone. He never intended for us to, to, just, to just kind of do our own thing. We are the church, the ecclesia. That means the assembly, the called out ones. 1 Corinthians 12 says we are all part of one body, the body of Christ. So regardless of who you are, regardless of what you look like, regardless of where you've come from, we are family, yo. That's what it means here. Ephesians 2 describes how we're built up together to become this dwelling place of God. So i got to put Jesus first. Then I've got to put my family first. Then I've got to put my church family first. But here's the fourth circle is my community. Come on, how many of you know you got to love your community? God never intended for us to get saved and go hide somewhere. God said, occupy till I come. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So again, when it comes to having this pure heart, what do I have to do? I have to review my motives. I have to realign my priorities. But then here's the third one. I have to remember that God sees everything. I have to remember that God sees everything. Psalms 121 talks about how there's a God that never sleeps or slumbers, but He stays awake. He's watching us day and night. Matthew chapter 6 verse 4 says, Your Father who what? Sees in secret. Does that bother you? Does that bother you to know that you don't have any secrets? All those skeletons in your closet, you thought nobody was there and nobody noticed. God sees everything. I remember Pastor Jarrell, he's gone on to be with the Lord now, but he tells a story of when his four-year-old son uh, was coming up. And back in the day, the, the churches, this has been years and years ago, the churches used to have the pastor sit on the stage. How many of you remember that? Those big throne chairs, you know, the pastor would sit on the stage. The choir was behind him singing and all of that good stuff. And so pastor was on the stage. His wife was in the choir. And also, if you remember the buildings, the old church buildings, the bathroom was always located where? Behind the pulpit. So you had to literally walk across the altar 
walk into the door, go to the bathroom, come back in front of everybody, and then go to your seat. And so Pastor Gerald tells the story of his son and how his son, every single service, the second song of the second line, here comes his son. He would walk across the altar in front of everybody and go to the bathroom. He did this every single Sunday. And so finally his parents set him down and was like, Son, if you do that one more time, we're going to wear your tail out. You're going to get a spanking. Go to the bathroom before. Well, showing up that next Sunday come, second song, second verse, here comes Junior, sporting across the front, Went only this time when he got to the bathroom, it dawned on him. I'm going to get a whooping. So he's come up with this plan. He comes walking out of the door with his eyes closed. And he's feeling around. Church is going. Choir singing. Everybody's looking at this kid. He's feeling around for the front seat. And he finally sits down. At the end of the service, his dad went up to him and said, what were you thinking? He said, well, Dad, I felt like if I couldn't see you, you couldn't see me. (laughs) How many times do we do that with God? Well, if I can't see God, he can't see me. You ever do that? Satan will come in and whisper, hey, go ahead. Nobody's going to know about it. Nobody sees you. You're by yourself. Just go ahead and do it. The problem is that God even knows when we're being tempted. Hebrews 4.13, what does it say? Nothing. Turn to somebody and say nothing. In Greek, it means nothing. In Hebrew, it means nothing. In pig Latin, it means nothing. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before His eyes of Him who must give an account. And this is where it gets a little heavy. Because I got to thinking about how we come into God's house Sunday after Sunday. So many people come in and we never deal with the real issues in our life. Because we have this thought in our mind that if I can't see him, he can't see me. And so we come into his house and we, we, we sing a few songs, we throw a few bucks in a plate, we listen to the message. Meanwhile, there's this major issue in our life that nobody knows about. Nobody even, even has a, an inkling of what's going on, but you know about it. And we still play this game with God to come in and do a little religious thing and skirt the issues of really what's going on in our life. And meanwhile, God is saying, hey, I want you pure on the inside and the outside. And it's awesome because when you finally see people come to the realization where they deal with the real issues, where they stand open before God and they deal with these issues, there's an amazing freedom that comes out of that. They walk out of God's house free. But guys, if we're not willing to get real about the issues of our life, then man, let's call it a day. Let's go home because really what's the point in coming in and doing 
some religious things if the whole time there's this glaring issue in our life that we're not dealing with. And so just kind of to demonstrate what I'm talking about, let's, let's just say, for instance, that this stage is our living room. So this stage is our living room. And I've got a big bag of trash that I'm going to sit right in the middle of my living room. And I'm going about my day, and I'm, I'm dusting over here, and I'm vacuuming, I'm sweeping, I'm dusting over there, I'm cleaning the windows, everything's good. And at the end of the day, I step back and say, perfect, it's great, my house is clean. And yet the whole time, you've got this big bag of trash sitting in your living room floor that you're not dealing with. And it, it, and it hit me, guys, in my heart that every single Sunday, churches all over the world, there's people coming in and we're dusting over here and we're dusting over there and we're sweeping up a little bit here and we're wiping the windows down but the whole time we need to put some gloves on and deal with the trash in our lives. But we're not dealing with it. And it amazes me because King David is really a great example of what we're talking about here. King David, he's the king of Israel. He's the spiritual leader. He's a political leader. He, you know the story. He commits adultery with Bathsheba, has her husband murdered, and then he covers it all up. He covers it all up. And so here's a guy. He's committed adultery. He's committed murder. And he keeps on doing his priestly duties as if nothing has happened. He, he keeps on leading the people. And someone finds out what's going on and they confront him. And at first he tries to cover it all up. You know, ain't no trash up in here. No trash in here. No trash. He's covering it all up. But then he comes to the realization, I can't cover it up anymore. And so Psalms 51, this is not in your notes, Psalms 51 is David coming to the realization that there's trash in my life. And so let me simplify Psalms 51 for you really, really quick. Psalms 51 is simply this. David admits his sin, he asks for forgiveness, and he walks away rejoicing. That's Psalms 51. He admits his sin, he asks God to forgive him, and he walks away rejoicing. That's it. No theological explanation other than if I want a pure heart, if I want to be pure on the inside and pure on the outside, if I want this blessed life that God is talking about, then I have to review my motives. God, why am I doing what I'm doing right here? I have to look at these things that come up into my life, my ambitions, my anxieties, all of this stuff, reviewing my motives. I have to realign my priorities. To where Jesus is first, then family, then church, then community. Knowing that if I get them out of whack, it creates chaos in my life. But then I have to come to a realization, guys, where I serve a God that sees everything. I am laying bare before Him. And the more I try to cover it up and hide it, the more my life goes down the tube, the less chances I have of walking out this blessed life because of this. But when I come to the place that David did where I say, Lord, I messed up. 
This is who I am. I repent of my sin. When I get to that place in my life, I can walk out of these doors with freedom. I can walk out of the doors of this house singing praises to God. Knowing that there has been something in me that has changed. There's a pureness that's happened. Pure of heart. Pure of heart. That's what God's asking us to do today. So where are you at? Some of you first time visitors, you're like, I will never come back to that house again. (laughs) My brother put a bag of trash on the stage. It's actually not trash, to be honest with you, but anyway. Come on, man, where are you at? You want to be blessed? You've got to have a pure heart. And your motives have got to be right. You've got to realign those priorities. You've got to realize that we're standing before a holy God who sees everything. So why do I try to hide the miss-ups, the mistakes in my life? Stand with me all over the house. Father, we need you. We need you. Father, we thank you for this time.